0: Everyone's going to be in trouble. house. We're gonna start. If everyone wants to stand we'll start with 333. I'll fly away to shake hands and fellowship tonight. 333.
1: <laughs> well when this life is over. You should live it a hundred years below Even here you're not being read it. You said long ago, long ago, long ago Yes, the old account was said long ago And the record's clear today For he washed the sins away But the old cowboy was said
0: long ago Someone we'll have a special spoken prayer request tonight? Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll pray for your nose. saying it this morning, let's remember um, our niece, his grandpa, or her grandpa got um, got a diagnosis of, of cancer, but um, because they just did a biopsy of the liver, they, they can tell that it didn't start in the liver, so now they're going to have to do the big scan, um, so just pray for that, uh, that whole situation. Anyone else tonight? Let's remember our missionaries.
1: Amen.
0: Amen. And I I talked to Betty her son-in-law. Vanetta's husband is uh, still in ICU. We need to pray for him. They did do the surgery, the bypass, um, but they're hoping I think soon to get to the step-down uh, unit. So just remember him in prayer. And then um, Brooke's uncle, will be great uncle. That that kind of, that's come. Uh, he told me he's got some blood clots in his legs that they're trying to work on. So let's remember him. His name's Paul. So let's remember him. I remember Nikki enjoying the kids tonight. So. Amen. I feel like they've gone through several rounds there. Let's remember that. Anyone else tonight? All right. Any unspoken prayer requests? Amen. God sees those hands. Let's go the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this day that you've given to us. Thank you for already allowing us to come into your house. and Lord, I thank you for uh, the peace that you give. And Lord, we're bringing our requests to you, just like you've told us to many times in your word, uh, to just give it uh, our petitions and our, our burdens to give them to you. And Lord, I pray that you touch those... Uh, many health issues, and Lord, we pray that you would touch those, but also spiritual issues. Lord, uh, there's a lot of lost or uh, people we don't know where they're at uh, with you, their relationship with you, and Lord, I pray that you would not only use us, but use others to touch uh, some of our friends and our family members with the gospel, Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would uh, uh, just help us to be obedient, Lord, help us to worship you tonight in spirit and in truth, and Lord, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you're gonna do. And in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. 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 All right, so I'm gonna have a song or a testimony tonight. You have a song? Bless the Lord. Bless You to sing? Okay. Do want
1: me a play or just sing?
0: All right, someone else have a song? Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, and when I think, That God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art when christ shall come With shouts of acclamation, and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart, then I shall bow in humble adoration, and there proclaim My God, how great Thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art! How great thou art then sings my soul, my savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Amen. 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 Someone else tonight. A song or a testimony. Yep. Amen. Bless her.
1: Bless
2: her <clears throat> Sometimes our eyes with tears run over when pain and sorrow is our fate, but when this race yeah. is finally over yeah. we'll leave it all yeah. outside the gate because inside the gate inside the portals We'll sing and shout and celebrate. There'll be no pain, no sorrow or crying. We'll leave it all outside the gate. We'll see the Lord Our friends and our loved ones We said goodbye And they now await Soon you and I will make that journey Friend, don't be left Outside the gate, cause inside the gate, inside the portals, we'll sing and shout and celebrate, there'll be no pain, no sorrow. Or crying yeah. will leave it all outside the gate. Yeah. Friend don't be left outside the gate. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. 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 Great. Do you have some USA.
0: Anyone else? Who else tonight? Alright, if not, we'll be in Exodus chapter 4 tonight. Exodus 4. Tony, I love God's word. And uh, I ran into this passage uh earlier in the week and it really stopped me in my tracks um and you'll see when we get into it later but um you know when when God does things like that it's doesn't just it's not just for the preacher you know it's also for sometimes he wants us to look into things he wants us to dig a little deeper uh, and but I am glad that uh, you know, no matter how many trips you can go through the Bible, no matter how many times you can hear something preached or taught or whatever, uh, God's got something for us, you know. And I, I'm thankful for that. But we're going to be Exodus four, starting in verse eighteen, is where we're going to start. So Exodus four eighteen says this, and Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father in law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they uh, be. Yet alive, and Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said unto Moses and Midian, Go return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. And Moses took his wife and his sons, and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return unto Egypt, see that thou Do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, but I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go and... And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel's is my son, even my firstborn, and I say unto thee, let my son go that he may serve me, and if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go, and then she said, uh, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for its truth, Lord. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to understand your word, Lord, to bring it to life. Teach us tonight, Lord, and show us, uh, we want to apply this word to our hearts, Lord, Lord, just like every time we get into your word, help us to do that. Lord, help me to preach. And Lord, uh, we thank you for all things. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. So uh, the book of Genesis, maybe you're reading through, uh, you know, maybe you started this year. So you're probably somewhere uh, in this general vicinity, maybe further, maybe not quite yet. But the book of Genesis ends uh, with Joseph dying. Remember, he becomes second in command in Egypt. Uh, he, you know, sold into slavery, works his way up, uh, you know, has to be in jail for a while. Uh, and he saves the nation of, of Egypt from, you know, that em- empire. He saves them from starving. You know that that dream that Pharaoh had, he interprets it through God's help uh, and they store up during the plentiful times for the famine uh, and then he, remember his family uh, ends up coming and uh, they realize it's him and he forgives his brothers uh, but the book of Genesis ends with Joseph's death. That's the last thing that you see and the book of Exodus starts 50 years later uh, and it talks about there's a new Pharaoh. There's a new uh, a new basically king in charge of Egypt that never knew Joseph, and they turned the children of Israel into slaves. So that's uh, how things shift uh, in the book of Exodus, and then Moses is born during that period where they were told uh, the Israel uh, children of Israel because they were growing so quickly God was blessing them Pharaoh demanded that every male child was to be thrown into the river uh, but by faith we know that from Hebrews chapter 11 uh, Moses' parents they weren't afraid of Pharaoh and his command uh, they made that ark uh, and sent him along uh, and he was taken in by Pharaoh's daughter uh, so Moses uh, is, is during uh, born in that period in the Bible period. He grows up in Pharaoh's house. He's educated uh, in the ways of the Egyptians. So, at about age forty, is where he sees uh, an Egyptian striving with a Hebrew, uh, and he looks this way, looks that way, doesn't see anybody, kills the Egyptian. Uh, but then the next day, he realizes everyone's found out, and he flees to Midian. So that uh, that that kind of gets you to where we're at today. He's been in Midian uh, for for 40 years so he's actually 80 years old by the time we get to exodus chapter 3 he's had two sons by this point gershom and eliezer uh and so it's been 40 years since he's fled egypt uh he's been a shepherd for his father-in-law jethro uh and so now and and Exodus 3, that's when the Lord appears to him in the burning bush. So he calls him, and and Bob already said it this morning, he brought his excuses to the Lord. I always think it's funny, one of his excuses is, you know, I can't talk very plainly as he's arguing with the Lord himself. It seems kind of ironic, uh, but those are his excuses, God didn't take any of his excuses. And uh, finally the Lord reveals to him that, hey, uh, I've heard the cries of my people. Uh, I'm going to use you uh, to bring them out. Moses is reluctant, but finally he agrees. And that's what gets us to Exodus chapter 4. That's what gets us to the passage. So uh, the, earlier in chapter 4 is some of the excuses and the back and forth and everything else. But by the time you get to verse 18, uh, Moses has agreed. He's agreed to do that. Uh, and it says he, went, he goes to Jethro as father-in-law said unto him let me go I pray thee and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt and see whether they be yet alive and Jethro said to Moses go in peace so he uh, Moses has his calling he's going to be a deliverer he's going to stand up against Pharaoh the most important probably king at the time he's going to go against him Uh, and here's the thing he's going to ask permission from his father-in-law and you could stop and we could argue whether this is right or wrong I don't think it's that wrong because he had been living with his father-in-law for 40 years he was taking care of his sheep uh, his father's flock so if he just disappeared one day they'd probably go looking for him he's been working for him for 40 years so he goes uh, you know so that way they are are, they're not worried about him they're not looking for him Uh, they got to go find another shepherd anyway so he goes and tells them uh, but look closer to what he says let me go I pray thee and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And I thought, that's a strange way of describing what God said you're going to do, because it's really none of that. Uh, But then it made me think, what if Jethro said no? What if Jethro said, "No, I don't want you to go. I don't think it's a good idea." Uh, so you don't see Moses talking about the Lord. You don't see him doing talking about doing the Lord's work, delivering an entire uh, children of Israel going against Pharaoh. None of that. He's just saying, "Let me go check on them in Egypt and see if maybe they're all gone. Maybe they're all dead." That's what he's asking. And it's uh, you don't see a lot of faith there. You don't see a lot of uh, a lot of truth there. He's just saying, "Yeah, I'm going back to Egypt, but not." really saying why uh, that he's doing that. So we see that then in verse nineteen, the Lord said unto Moses and Midian, "Go, return to, unto Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life." So you know he's get uh, Moses has got his blessing from his father in law to go in peace. Uh, then he's the re, the Lord is removing all the fear. So whatever fear he still had, remember he he killed a man in Egypt, and Pharaoh at the time wanted him dead. Now there's a new Pharaoh, uh, but nobody remembers any of this. Forty years have passed. God said it's fine to go. Uh, so then in verse 20, Moses packs up his wife and kids. Uh, they got the donkey. They start heading on uh, to the land of Egypt, and he's got the rod of God in his hand that's going to, you know, uh, part the Red Sea and turn into a serpent and all of those things. So you're thinking right here, man, this is good, right? Everything's going good. The story's great. Uh, Moses uh, obeys immediately, which is that's what we want to see. We want to see immediate obedience, right? That's always the best. And then next, what happens next? The Lord encourages him after this in 21, 22, and, and 23. He's saying, hey, uh, when, when thou goest to return to, unto Egypt and see uh, see that thou do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in thine hand, remember that rod, but I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. So we see uh, Moses is starting to obey. He's agreed to it. He's getting ready to head to Egypt. And the Lord gives him more information. And you know, you can find this, in Abraham's life, Isaac, Jacob, you can find it over and over again, that at the beginning the Lord gives less description but as we are obedient and stepping out in faith, the Lord gives him more information. He's saying, hey uh, I'm I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Now some would argue uh, that well Pharaoh never had a choice in this God forced him to do these things but notice what it says. It says that God said I will harden his heart. It's no different than When you pour concrete into a form, what's it do? It hardens after a while. And it stays in that shape, hopefully, that you put it in, unless somebody walked on it or something like that. And that's the thing. God is saying, hey, uh, Pharaoh's made it. Does He will make a decision not to let you go because he doesn't fear the God of Israel. He doesn't fear. He thinks he's a God. And what the Lord said is when he's made that decision, I'm going to harden his heart like concrete, and he's not going to change his mind on. So I know a lot of people say, well, God forced Pharaoh to go. No, he didn't. Pharaoh, he just said, hey, there will come a time where you can't change your mind anymore. And I'll tell you what, there are a lot of people that God has hardened their heart. They have had chance after chance, opportunity after. Their heart has been softened and touched and they have heard the truth. But there comes a time uh, where it's the last time they can make a choice. You know, because some people will say, well, on my deathbed, I'll just turn to God. That's not true. It might happen, but I would not bank on that because uh, it is the Lord's invitation. It is him drawing and he may not draw and the heart may be hardened because we've talked to a lot of people like that. It's right at the end and they're still they don't even want to hear it. It's like, my goodness, my goodness. So in verses 22, 23, the Lord telling them uh, that the children of Israel are like his firstborn. And if Pharaoh doesn't let him go, then the the Lord will slay Pharaoh's firstborn son. And we see that God's getting serious about this. You know, we know uh, all of those plagues. If you study the plagues that that God uses against Egypt, every one of those was an attack against a certain Egyptian God. He was going after all of them to show them who was more powerful. But one of the things I learned when I was studying this time was that every firstborn male that was born they would dedicate them to one of the gods. They'd pick one and they dedicate that child to the God uh, and then you know just as another thing of showing how did it, almost like we dedicate children uh, but here's what the Lord is saying hey not only am I going to prove uh, everything wrong right the, uh, the God that, that's the strength of the Nile you know I'm going to prove I'm going to turn it to blood and you can't stop Right. Uh, I'm going to kill everything in it. Uh, You can't protect the flocks or the the God of agriculture. You can't uh, the God of fertility or whatever else. You can't do all these things. And he's saying, hey, all those sons you've dedicated to all these gods, those gods can't protect those sons either. Right. Only the blood of the lamb can. So Moses gets more information from the Lord. He continues on his way. He's got his wife and his kids. Verse 25, and it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him, met Moses, and sought to kill him. So this verse and the next two verses, I think, are some of the most confusing verses in the Bible. This is one of those passages that you can't just read it and then all of a sudden say, okay, I get it. I understand, right? Right? Moses was chosen by God as a deliverer, right? He appeared to him in the burning bush. He appeared to him later. Uh, Moses is on his way to Egypt to do exactly what the Lord told him to do. He's being obedient to the Lord. the Lord and the verse right above, the Lord is encouraging him, giving him more information, uh, telling him what he's going to do with Pharaoh. And now one verse later, the Lord is ready to kill Moses. That should make you stop and think for a second. What on earth is going on right here? I, this is one of those things. I know that sometimes we're reading our our Bible each day and we're trying to get to the end of the chapter, maybe to check it off and go. Sometimes you just got to stop and got to uh, ask the Lord for help. Uh, but you know, we're digging into this and looking into it. And I've got a couple study Bibles at home. I pulled them out. They weren't much help. Got a couple commentaries. I, I tried looking at that. They weren't much help either. People said we don't really know what. What all was going on, or they just tried to make something up that didn't really sound like it fit, or anything else? Uh, so what do you do? I, I asked the Lord. I said, "Lord, you got to help me with this one, right? You got to help me. I do not understand what what happened bef- between verse twenty three and twenty four. What happened? Because there's nothing here. We don't get any details. Well, with me, I don't know if he does this with you. I like questions." And you look at Jesus, he likes questions too. So what's he do when he's helping me out? He gives me a little hint. That's a question. You know what he was telling me? He's saying, Mike, you're looking for what Moses did do. Why don't you think about what Moses didn't do? So then I started started thinking about it. And as I was thinking and meditating and praying, this thought came into my mind. I was thinking, you know what? What did Joshua do? Fast forward to Joshua... When he's getting ready to go into the promised land. Remember, he's called by the Lord. He was taking over from Moses. Uh, he was going to lead the children of Israel in the promised land. What did he do? And I'm going to read two verses. Joshua 1, 7. This should be very familiar. Uh, Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the le- right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou go. So then the other one is Joshua 3, 5. Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So before they were going to cross over the Jordan River, before they were going to take one step into Canaan, into that promised land, before they were going to do any of that, Joshua gives them three instructions. He says, number one, I want you to be strong and courageous because we're in for a battle, right? We're we're walking by faith. There's going to be groups that they're not just going to give this to us, but the Lord will take care of us. So be strong. Uh, And then the next thing he's saying, hey, uh, observe to do according to all the law. We need to obey God's law. We need to do what God tells us to do. And then thirdly, he says, sanctify yourselves. And I think this one's the one we get tripped up on sometimes. Sanctifying means to set yourself apart. Be holy. Be separated from worldliness. You know, all of these things. And he's telling them again, the day before they're going to do something. The day before they're going to cross the Jordan and everything else, Joshua is basically saying I want you to examine yourselves before we cross over. I want you to examine yourself. Look for sin in your life. Look for areas of disobedience. Look for uh, any, any worldliness, any rebellion, any idols, whatever it is. And when you find it confess it right get rid of it repent get rid of it if it's an idol turn and do uh, whatever go from uh, rebellion to uh, obedience or whatever needs to happen and you replace it like I said holiness obedience faith all of those things and he's saying hey before we take one step into this place We need a spiritual examination. That's what he's saying. I want you guys to do. I I want you to assess what's going on and clean things up, sanctify yourselves. What's he say again? Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What do Christians want today? They want miracles. They want a big move of God. We want revival. We want all these big changes. We want God to really show His power and make a great demonstration and everything else. But here's the problem. People want a move of God, but they don't want righteousness. Right? And, And this is what Joshua said. If we want to see the Lord work before we cross this river, we're going to sanctify ourselves. And that's what they did. And God blessed that. So what's the problem here? Verse 25 and 26. We see this. uh, What's happened here and in verse 26, God lets Moses go. He doesn't kill him. That's what the beginning of 26 is saying after his son was circumcised. So that shows us the problem. See, it was instituted in Genesis 17. That's when Abram's name was changed to Abraham. And God established that as a sign of the covenant between the Lord and Abraham's seed. And he told them, he said, you need to do this on the eighth day uh, that the child is born, eight days later. And it says, otherwise, uh, Genesis 17, 14, that should, uh, that should shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. I must have... It sounds a little strange, but basically he said, hey, if you don't do this, they're cut off from my people. Here's one thing I learned about the Midianites. They practice circumcision, but they didn't do it until the, the man got engaged. So it would be later, way later. So Gershom, his one son is 16. Eliezer is six. And here's the thing. If they're doing it now, it wasn't done at the eighth day. Right? So either Moses was just not really following God, maybe he was just lax and following God's law, or he was raising them as Midianites, which very well could have been. Remember, he's living in the land of Midian. He's married a Midianite woman. His father in law is a Midianite, and he's in his. You know, basically living around, you know, probably under his roof. An extra house is usually what they did back then. Uh, but or maybe Zipporah, his wife, objected to doing it as an infant. I don't know. But we see something there. Their house, we can tell, was definitely unequally yoked. And that's one of the things that happened. Problems like this happen. How are you going to raise your children? Are you going to raise them in God? Or are you going to raise them as a Midianite? What are you going to do? And we see that what was supposed to be done was never done. So let's think about this Moses had been hesitant to do what God called him to do, right? That you know, we see that in chapters 3 and 4. We see his hesitation, we see him, but then he agrees. But here when I was reading this and thinking about it, so he agrees, verse 18, right? He goes to his father-in-law and asks him basically if, you know, can I go back to Egypt? Remember, not really telling him what he would he was really going to do. And then uh, the Lord says in 19, you know, go return to Egypt for all the men which are dead, which shot their life. And then in verse 20, they load up and start going. And I think I found the problem. I think the problem is, here's Moses, he's got the rod of God in his hand, the, you know, that that symbol of God's power that God's going to use, uh, he's called to be the Lord's spokesman, he's called to be the deliverer, we know by the time they leave, there's probably about 2 million, roughly, that leave Egypt, this is a huge group that Moses is going to lead uh, out of there, uh, with God's work, uh, power, and through God's, uh, you know, direction, and everything else, And he's going to do this with hidden sin, right? Who would have known? Who would have known that he was raising them as Midianites? Who would have known secret sin, hiding it. And, And here's the thing. Remember in Genesis, God said, I will cut off any of the Hebrews that refused to do it. But I think Moses thought he could get away with it. And here's the thing. God wasn't going to kill Moses' son, he was going to kill Moses. That's what we see in this passage. Because it was Moses that was not obedient on the eighth day. Right? That's the problem we see. So he's going to step out as a leader of God's people. And he's not even leading his own family in obedience to God. And here's the thing. that If you really dig into God's word throughout the whole thing. Old Testament, New Testament. God takes obedience seriously. And you know, sometimes I think we get kind of flippant about it as if we can delay it till later when we feel like it. Delayed obedience is not obedience at all, right? Or half obedience. Maybe we'll just do half of what God wants us to do. That doesn't work either. Abraham, it didn't work for Abraham when he half obeyed God and and those things, but uh, God takes it seriously. And in fact, he takes it so seriously, uh, the first disobedience was in Genesis chapter 3 that started uh, introduced sin into this world that we're still living in the curse from it. Here's the thing. If they were delaying obedience until the son was engaged, they're not obeying the Lord, Right? you got to pick one or the other. We're either going to go with the world's customs or we're going to go with what God says. And here's the thing. When God brings disobedience to our attention, we've got to fix it right. as soon as we can. we got to repent. we got to turn. we got to uh, d- do what God's told us to do. Psalm 119.60, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Oh, I wish I would do that more than I do. I, you know, I, I fall into this trap too. You know, God points something out. Well, I'll start working on that tomorrow, right? I'll, I'll start praying about that tomorrow. Uh, I'll, I'll start up a plan or something like that. No, God wants us to turn, turn to him now. Because a lot of times tomorrow keeps staying tomorrow, right? It's always another tomorrow. So if we look at that whole story again, do you realize... I noticed something, and it seems like in verse 18, when you read his conversation with his father-in-law Jethro, he was more worried about offending Jethro than he was worried about offending God. And that, we can fall into that trap too. I am more worried about what a co-worker would think, or what a friend would think, or a family member would think, instead of what God thinks. And that's sad. Because, yes, you can look. I mean, he had to deal with his father-in-law. He, you know, he worked for him and, you know, he could have seen the displeasure and everything else. But I'm telling you what, when we stand before God, uh, there, I don't want to see displeasure in God from my life. It's much worse. So what are we more worried about? What this world thinks about us or what God does? Maybe we need to stop and follow Joshua's instructions, right? What did he say? Oh, you're getting ready to do something for the Lord. Have you sanctified yourself first? Right? Have you done that first? How do we sanctify ourselves? This verse, I thought, works really well. Jesus said this, John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. How do we set ourselves apart? How do we live righteously? How do we live separate from this world? How do we live differently? It is through the Word of God. And only through the Word of God. That's it. You can't separate if you, if you aren't using the Bible as the measuring tool, as, as the only way to show what's right and what's wrong, what's moral and what's not, or whatever else, how to live and how not to live. It's God's Word. And that is how we separate. That's how we sanctify ourselves. So when God's Word points something out through the Holy Spirit, we've got to make a decision each time. Am I going to stop and am I going to do something about it or am I going to make God remind me again? Because each time we make him remind remind us again, there's a little less guilt than the time before. And it becomes a little easier to excuse it away. We know this. We've been, a lot of us here have been Christians long enough. We know this. This is not, I'm not telling you something new. We've seen it in our lives, right? And, and and finally, sometimes God had to do something drastic. when you When you excuse sin and excuse sin and hide it and go about like there's nothing wrong, sometimes God has to get a little drastic like he did with Moses in the end. And again, like the commentators think maybe he was having heart attack. Or I don't know where they get things like that. But it says the Lord sought to kill him. God was trying to get his attention. He said, you're not taking my people out until you deal with this. Is God any different today? Okay, he's not going to strike us down. But does he feel any differently about sin? Hidden sin? Secret sin? No, he says, sanctify yourself. But what's a blessing is he has to get (laughs) he has to get this, I mean, just shaking Moses almost. Get that serious with him. Yet, what does Moses end up doing? He starts out with doubt, excuses, pick somebody else, I don't want to do it, hiding secret sin, and more worried about what his father-in-law thought uh, than than what God thought, yet God used him in a powerful way. That's what blesses me. You go to the end and you see a man uh, that yes he had faults yes he got he gets frustrated he is depressed later on he gets really frustrated with them as Bob said they love to murmur and complain and it's true over and over again uh, they, they acted as if uh, life would be better in Egypt and everything else but I'm telling you God used him in a powerful way in spite of his start in spite of his faults and I look at each one of us, God can use us the same way he's pointing these things out because he wants to get rid of every hindrance because guess what any of that secret sin you realize the devil latches on to those things and the more quicker we deal with it the more we can be used of God what did Bob say this morning bless my heart he said disobedience prevents blessings from God It's that simple. If you don't believe it, look throughout the word. It's over and over again. And maybe you're saying, well, Mike, I believe it. Well, some of us with our lives, we don't believe it. Or we would change. I'm here to tell you, God wants to use each and every one of us. Okay, maybe not to lead two million people out of Egyptian bondage, but he wants to use us to do something that has eternal consequences. And if he's saying hey, this one thing, then why don't we just give back to him and say, Lord, help me with this. Starting today, starting now, because he will. I'm going to ask everyone to stand.